I invite you to be seated. And as you're seated, I invite you to pray with me this morning. Holy and gracious God, having heard your scriptures read, continue to speak to us this morning. And we pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our God. Amen. Amen. So how many of you have heard the story of Ruth and Naomi before? Yep. How many of you remember the chapter 3 that I just read in this story? Yeah? Okay. A little bit less, my guess. Because one of the things that we don't talk about is the latter half of the story. Because what really is happening is that Naomi and Ruth are finding a way for their shared future together. And they're trying to secure for themselves security. Uh, Because women during the ancient times did not have security outside of their husbands that would provide for them. And so for Ruth and Naomi to come back to Naomi's family wasn't necessarily going to be a place of security and continual growth. And Ruth, uh, and Ruth, for example, was a person that was completely other for all intensive purpose, for all purposes. She was someone that they would look at and she would look different, she would act different, she would be different than the Israelites. And everyone knew it all the time. And it was almost as if she was wearing a costume. I know, Halloween time, that would show that she was different than the rest. And Naomi decides that she wants to tell Ruth how to go about securing a future for them. And if you didn't notice within this story, it gets just a tiny bit risque. Did anyone notice that? No? Okay. So what's happening here in this story is essentially Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, she says to her, Hey, Ruth, we need to secure a future for yourself. I need you to go to where the men hang out, and I want you to entice one of them to marry you. I want you to go and entice one of them to marry you. And she not only says that, but she says to Ruth, I want you to dress up, put some perfume on, get yourself ready to go out for a night on the town, and go to the threshing floor. Which this is one of the things that I I find funny sometimes when you know about the Old Testament or like Hebrew and the words there, and when you don't know, is that one of the things that you can unpack is like, oh, threshing floor, some ancient weird name for, you know, where they manage their grain and barley. Well, essentially what was happening, if you didn't read, uh, listen to part of that, is that he basically going to the pub that night. That is the, the local place where the men would gather after a long day's worth, and they would have drinks with one another, they would eat with one another, and they would be merry together in that place. And Naomi uh, tells Ruth in, in a very kind of mischievous way, right? Wait until they're done eating and drinking, and then go and hang out with the men at the party, right? Go hang out, having dolled yourself up and looking your finest, Go and be there. And I can only imagine having uh, been someone that you know, doesn't like to go out in like, new social circles and like, you know, put myself out there, what was going through Ruth's mind for a minute. Because what Naomi was asking her to do was not part of the cultural expectations of Israeli women at the time. You were not, or Hebrew women, you were not supposed to go to the men's space, especially when the men were having their time and having their fun and kind of being there. 
But Naomi wants to secure a future for them desperately, and she says, go, do it. And Ruth had to have been thinking, me? Wait, you want me to go there? Like, they are going to kick me out the minute they see me walk through the doors or walk in the field or whatever it is. Like, I am not supposed to be there. I am not supposed to be there. And the minute that they wake up and realize that it's the Moabite, you know, that had been the Moabite widow that is there in the threshing floor, everyone's going to be in an uproar. What was she supposed to be doing there? She's the last one that was supposed to be there. But she does faithfully what her mother-in-law says to do, and she goes, and, you know, she goes to Boaz at night, and she, you know, lays at his feet at night amidst the pub, and you can just kind of unfold the risque nature of the text. I'm not going to go into it a little bit, but that's one of the things I think is amazing about the Bible sometimes is that we don't even, like, it's like the language is so foreign that we don't even realize that sometimes the novels within it are also kind of like, you know, the novels that we read now as adults, and they have things that you wouldn't expect to be in the Bible when you open it up and you read it, and you say, oh, oh, that's what's happening here as Ruth is securing a future, right? Just like a few weeks ago when we said that how did the, you know, Israeli camp end up at the house of Rahab, right? The prostitute's house, before going into the land of Canaan. There's some things going on in the text that we don't like to talk about sometimes. But it's not just the things that are going on in the text that we don't talk about sometimes. Sometimes we just don't like to talk about the, the things that we might think are icky or not acceptable or that other people might think, well, who are they? And I bring that up because I think that must have been going through the mind of Ruth throughout this entire endeavor, is they'll find out. They're going to know. They're going to know. They're going to figure out what I did that I seduced Boaz into liking me and wanting to be with me. They're going to figure it out. And then Boaz similarly says, don't let anyone see that you were here. They're going to find out. They're going to know. And that somehow amidst those feelings of they're going to find out, they're going to know, they find a future together. And I, and I say that because one of my experiences as a pastor and working with congregation is a feeling that's added to us that we have to kind of hide a portion of ourselves with others. And it's not just as a pastor. I think that when we go and we make new friends, we find ourselves in a new place, in a new community. We try to connect to people and be in relationship. But we have a part of us that we think to ourselves, they're going to know and they're going to figure it out right? Like, what if they knew my past? What if they knew that I was divorced? Or what if they knew that I had made these mistakes in my life? Or what if they knew that, you know, I actually raised my voice at my kids? Or what if they knew, right? Then surely they would not be as nice to me. Then surely they would not welcome me into this space. When we're new into a community, we find ourselves carrying kind of the insecurity of being other. 
of being different, of not feeling like you're going to fit. But even if you've been in a place for long enough, you still kind of have the parts of you that you feel uncomfortable sharing and being vulnerable with. And I think part of that is like exacerbated when the church decides, hey, we're going to gloss over the parts of the text that talk about a biblical character who finds her lineage. Jesus's lineage has the name Ruth in it, right? And if you noticed, Ruth seduces Boaz in this text. Like, there is no other way around this text. Like, that is what happens. Boaz was partying, Ruth shows up. The rest is the end of the story. But can you imagine Jesus sharing that with us? You know, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma, well, she did this at one time, right? I know it's really distant and really, but we do that with each other. We do that. We think that we have to hide the pieces that we think are unacceptable to other people, whether it's new friends or whether it's church community, that we don't want them to know because if they truly knew what happened or they truly knew who, what we were like, or if they knew kind of the thoughts that are in our inner mind, maybe, maybe they wouldn't be as welcoming. Maybe they wouldn't find us as cheery as they like to think. That persona that we put up. And so one of the things that I find about the, the scripture, especially within this story of Ruth, is that this is a story of profound friendship. I think it's one of the most beautiful examples in all of the Bible of a faithful, steadfast commitment. In fact, when I do a wedding, I oftentimes will reference Ruth and Naomi, that they make a commitment to one another so great in their friendship that it mirrors God's love and commitment for us. And in that commitment is the authenticity and the, the grittiness of life. They don't exclude that from the story of Ruth and Naomi. It's not a story of Ruth decides to go with Naomi, where your people go, I will go, where you die, I will die, and then they live happily ever after. That's not the story, but that's like what we like to think about those biblical characters sometimes. But when we lift them up like that, they're the stories that never, ever match our lives. Ever. They don't match our lives because our lives are filled with junk. And we all have it. I'm sorry to say, I know that we all do. No matter how good you come on Sunday morning, I bet I know you got some stuff that you need to work through. And if you think, how good am I that I'm up here? I don't choose to be on a pulpit, right? <laughs> I sit down. And part of it's because I know that I'm not perfect either. And the more we try to hide those pieces, the more I think we're not able to enter into the faithful friendship that Ruth and Naomi embody. So much so that they mirror God's love for us. And so if you think to yourself, in community, what if they know? That you're going to be other, you're going to be the one that they don't include. And so you hide that part to yourself. And, and friends, I also know people who do that with God. 
that they don't want to share that, or they want to just, you know, say, like, if God knew that. Well, first of all, God knows that, right? Like, I mean, that, that's just there, right? If God knows that. But they don't want to pray it out loud, or they won't want to do it. I mean, they just feel shame over that part of their life, so much so that they don't feel that God can love them in it. Like, if, well, if only God knew that, then Pastor Brian's words about free grace and God's love wouldn't apply, right? But friends, they do. They do apply. And, and it's not about what you have done or haven't done. It's about learning to open ourselves to the authenticity of life with one another and that life with God. And as we learn to do that, then we'll learn to be more whole together. I mean, truly, a great, you know, like, I mean, appropriate, like, figured out how to do this as a parent, right, or as a grandparent, is to say, look at what's in the Bible, right? The Bible's not hiding the pieces of life. We are hiding the pieces of our life that's in the Bible from ourselves and from the kids, and I know that we, we got to be age appropriate. We got to figure it out. You know, how do we share this part of the story? But how many of you knew this part of the story prior to walking in that knew, had heard of the story of Ruth? It, it's a piece that we don't look at in the same way that when we hear the psalmists yell, where were you, God, when my life was falling apart? Hearing, did you even hear my cries? The Bible gives us words in the dark places. The Bible gives us examples of, of faithful, saint-like characters in the Bible that have some pieces to their life that don't exactly fit the mold of what we consider to be always saintly, right? The Bible creates space for those people to be faithful, and even to mirror God's love. So why do we feel we need to hide those pieces from God and from each other? Because the truth is, is that all are welcome. And if you feel other, like outside of the community, like how can someone, you know, really bring me in, or I don't know enough, or I'm not all are welcome. Uh, the last time I preached on this portion of Ruth was when I was giving my last sermon at the first church that I ever served at. In fact, it was a, a memory lane when I was pulling up my notes about this portion of Ruth because I preached a sermon at Evergreen United Methodist Church. Evergreen United Methodist Church was a small rural church just outside of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I, I, as I was reading the sermon, it was so interesting because I was talking about my experience of learning to be an outsider on the inside. And because what I mean by that is that I didn't grow up in the Methodist church. I grew up in the church. And then I, when I did find my like, way into denominations, I was, I was a very mixture. I was like all over the place. A non-denom. I had spent some time Pentecostal. I had been with Catholic friends. I had been Lutheran at some point, And then Episcopalian. I mean, I've been around in my short history. And so then I was appointed or I was given a, a like a, what is it called? Like 
field education, we called it. It was internship. There you go. That's the word. I was given an internship at this Methodist rural church outside of um, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And it was a small Methodist church, about 50 people that would gather, and, or 40. Um, and, you know, there I was. And I did one semester or one summer, and then I did another following year, and then I, I, I was able to have the gift of doing another summer. And the reason I did that was because I watched a pastoral changeover, and so I decided that, hey, I can continue in this community. And I loved them, and they were great. But you know what I was not, and I was aware of all the time? I was not Methodist. <laughs> and I was preaching regularly, and I was leading them, and then all of a sudden, I found myself like coming into the Methodist circle and finding my way into ordination. And I, and I shared with them the beauty of how they made me feel welcome, not only as a student pastor, but eventually as a future United Methodist pastor, because Ashley and I joined that church so that we could begin, so I could begin the ordination process. And then they were there with me and voted on me to move me up to the ordination process. And as I kept moving, and so as I gave my last sermon, I had already been well, uh, on the process to be commissioned in the Methodist church as an ordained pastor. And I said, I was not what you wanted. And one of the things, or not what I, I was, I didn't think that you wanted me to be your pastor, right? Because I was this not Methodist student. And that eventually you kept encouraging me and the thing is that what they kept encouraging me to do that made me be where I am today is to not be the Methodist pastor. They said, Brian, you don't need to be the Methodist pastor. We don't even know what that means. They said, we love you and we think you would be a great Methodist pastor. And it was in that community that I was able to realize that I didn't need to fit the molds pretend to be something I wasn't, but that the real gift that I was in that community was to be myself. As I learned to be myself, they affirmed that that is exactly what we want in the Methodist church. And so that is your task and your challenge is to be not who others think you ought to be, not who you think you need to show up and pretend to be, is to be yourself authentically within the context of community. And the fullness of God's love that we see in Naomi and Ruth will make itself more evident each day that we're able to truly do that, to bring your gifts, your personality, and yes, even your flaws, your cracks, your wrinkles to the table. And for us to all say all are welcome. And to reiterate that over and over again, no matter what someone's wearing, no matter what doubts they have, no matter if they say, I don't know nothing about being Methodist. That's fine. That was me. So when we lead the story, read the story of Ruth from beginning to end, we see the love of God at work in friendship, in the real, the reality of life. Don't hide that from one another, and don't hide it from God. God's grace has already been spoken over it. And let us be that community that welcomes all with all of our histories.
I invite you to pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we give thanks that we need not hide portions of our lives from you. That you welcome us in and you promise to always be with us no matter what. It's not a conditional statement. That you are with us. And just like Ruth chose to never leave Naomi, not even in the hardest of places, you will never leave us. So let us open ourselves to you and to one another. Not pretend we're better than we are, but acknowledge that we are exactly who you made us to be. Amen.